Scripture reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 through chapter 3, verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, This morning I had the special privilege of um, introducing my friend, Ryan Dugan. Uh, Ryan and I work together at Christ the King. He's on on staff at Christ the King in Houston. And um, he's currently a seminary student. He's a minister in training. And so what we do is we, we try to get our guys some opportunities to preach every now and then. Also, it gives Kyle and I a break before we launch in on January 10th back into our Mark series. And so Ryan's a close friend of mine. Ryan, thanks for being here this morning with us. And I'm going to adjust his mic because Ryan's like two inches taller than me, I think, maybe. How do you do this one? Uh, I don't know if they have one. That's great. Is that good? Yeah. Good morning, y'all. Hey, yeah, I will, I will. I'm waiting for you to walk away. Six feet, right? That's the, that's the deal. It really is. It's an honor to be with you here this morning. Uh, I was thinking uh, it's about a 30-minute drive up from my house, which is great. That's why part of the reason I love Houston is just a lot of time to think and reflect as you drive. But I'm really grateful for Grace. I have been in Houston for about seven years. As Brad said, very close friend with Brad. I've known Kyle, and I'm good friends with him. Caleb McDuffie, as a matter of fact, too, got a privilege of working with him and friends with him as well. So a lot of connections for me here at this church, and it's been a privilege the last seven years to see God work through you uh, in the woodlands and to see how faithful he's been to this place. Even this past year, in the midst of kind of a horrible curveball of a year that we've had with one another. Um, And I'm really excited to talk this morning about the passage we just read because, uh, hopefully you know this, this is the first Sunday of 2021, and this is the season of New Year's, is it New Year's or New Year? I never really know how to say it, of resolutions. Uh, it's the season to make changes in our lives, to set new goals for the new year, and uh, this passage today is actually about change. It's about where our hope, where our power for change comes from, how we tap into this promised change of God, because, friends, I have good news for you this morning, God is a God of change. He's a God of renewal. His promise to us is that he will finish the work he starts in us. And you better believe he's not going to stop doing that with you. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, God sees us where we are. He accepts us. He loves us. But by his grace, he does not leave us where we are. The reality for you and I is that as followers of Christ, change is on its way. And this sort of change is much grander. It's bigger. It's more transformative than the sort of resolutions, at least, that I try to make every year. I've done whole 30, I think, once. I've done whole 17 once. Whole 7, whole 3, at least a dozen times. Uh, That's not the sort of change God's offering. The sort of change he offers us is 
reunion and reconciliation. He offers us uh, a complete transformation of our minds, a reorientation of our lives in such a way that all that we are is moved to bring him glory and, his, and praise his name and to love the people in our neighborhoods and our families and our city uh, sacrificially to bring renewal into our life. This, Christian, is the change that's coming. So before we dive in, uh, I would like to pray, and then we're going to look at three different things of how God instructs us through this letter from Paul, of how we can tap into this change. How do we experience more fully this change? So uh, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Cool? Father, thanks again for this morning. Thank you for a chance to be here with my new friends and a chance for us to look into your scriptures together. I do pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see what you have to say, or hear, ears to hear what you have to say, and eyes to see from your word how good you are, how much you love us, and how much you are for us. And it's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at three things this morning. <clears throat> These are ways that Paul instructs us that we can tap into this coming change. That we can fully experience this change. The first is, we must humble ourselves. Secondly, we remember our death in Christ. And lastly, we set our eyes on a new goal. We humble ourselves, we remember our death in Christ, and we set our eyes on a new goal. So let's look first in verses 20 through 23. Paul asks the Colossians, Why are you still submitting to the regulations, to the rules of the world? Rules are a funny thing. Rules, they set limits. They give us guidelines for what to do and what not to do. You know, don't drive too fast on the highway because it puts people in danger. If you're a student, don't use Google to answer all of your questions because you're online, because you won't learn anything. If you're at Lupe Tortilla, don't double dip your chip because everyone will hate you. Uh, Rules give us instruction for how things ought to go. They help us determine what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong, what's valuable, what's not, and sometimes even who is valuable and who's not. We, we live in a, in a world of rules that dictate our own significance. If you're a kid, it's are you the cool one? Are you, do you wear the right clothes? Are you funny? Do you have the grades? Are you the athlete? I tell people, I was in youth ministry for a long time, and I tell folks, adults are still in high school. We're just better at hiding it. We still care about where we sit in the lunchroom. Where do you live? What neighborhood are you in? Where do your kids go to school? How big is your house? Have you gotten the promotion? We are surrounded by rules in the church that Paul writes to. These Colossians had rules too. This is a church, a very diverse church, a church that was growing, that was new, that was trying to figure out where their significance as followers of Jesus came from, and they got confused. For them, they thought strict obedience to the Old Testament. That's where my significance comes from. Rigid rule following. They... (coughs) This is where the do not touch, do not taste, do not handle section, that verse 21, that's where that comes from. They believe that if they followed the Old Testament law to a T, that that's where change, positive change in their life would come from. That's where their significance would come from. And Paul names something that you and I both know in verse 23. He says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. It looks smart to do that. The self-imposed worship, the false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. In other words, what Paul is saying is abiding by any sort of set of rules to find significance, achieving whatever sort of standard you think you need to achieve to find value or to implement change and positive influence in your life, 
continuing down that rat race will ultimately fail because it never stops. When I was, I actually lived in St. Louis, uh, Missouri. We were talking about Missouri over there because her dad's from Cassville, which is great. I'm from Branson. Anyway, uh, I lived in St. Louis for a time, and I got to coach football there. I am a large fella. I played football in college. I know a little bit about playing defensive line, not a lot. But I coached for a team, and in my second year, we won the state championship. It's Kirkwood High School. It was much like the Woodlands High here. This big school. We were really good. We were the best team in the state of Missouri, which I also know doesn't hold anything to a Texas football team. I get it. But we were the best in Missouri. It was awesome, okay? <laughs> and you know what we did as soon as we won the state championship? We celebrated. Come on. I mean, we won the state championship. It was awesome. We were excited. It was a Saturday. We, were, we jumped up and down, held the trophy, took lots of pictures. It was great. And then Saturday night ended, and Sunday came, as it does. And Sunday stopped, and Monday came, as it does. And the coaches had their first meeting of the new year, and our head coach walks up to the podium, and he says, Men, the celebration's over. It's time to get back to work. Last year means nothing now. It doesn't help us in this next season at all. See, even when you achieve the standards we set for ourselves, it doesn't stop. You have to keep going. Paul's telling this community, and he's telling us, that this rat race of self-discipline or self-denial or these standards we set up for ourselves to feel okay doesn't work. Because once you hit the mark, you always have to strive for more. He wants them to see that the real power of change does not come from your self-discipline or your ability to try harder, but actually comes from God. The question for you and I this morning is, where do we turn when we want change in our life? When there's strife in our marriage or in our families or with our friends, what do we run to? We live in a city where being the self-made man or the self-made woman, is, that's the pinnacle of success. To work harder, to, pull, to put your boots on and get after it. That's what it means to be successful. That's what we do. That's what we're drawn to. When we want change in our life, that's because we love living for standards. They provide a false sense of control. At the very least, it gives us a way to compare ourselves to where we were, or better yet, to other people. It's a way for us to say, at least I'm not that guy or that girl. But don't you see what's happening? The cycle never ends. One failure leads to harsher, more stricter rules, which leads to failure which leads to harsher rules. The cycle never ends. True freedom, true change doesn't occur. And so God tells us through Paul, the first thing to tap into actual God change in our life is to humble ourselves before him. To give up on the race, the rat race. Real change only occurs, as we said in our confession, the confession today, it only occurs when we're willing to give up on our own strength and depend on that of the Lord and those around us. We must humble ourselves before him. Let go of this illusion that you can handle your own sin, that you can handle your own failure, that you can handle the broken places in your life. You can't. And neither can I. But the good news is that God can. And the good news this morning is that he provides the hope and the power for change, and he also gives us instruction to tap into that change, first by humbling ourselves, and secondly by remembering our death in Christ. Let's look at what Paul says. He says something very strange in verse 20. 
21, or excuse me, verse 20, he says, Since you have died with Christ, why, though you, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Why are you still submitting to your old ways when that life is dead with Christ? It's a really weird word to use, isn't it? Death. It's a negative thing. It's a sad thing. We think of the end of something. Like, I believe it will be the death of the Rockets' chances of the championship if we ever trade James Harden. It's all over. But death is much more complicated than just the end of a sports era. When we think of death, we think we grieve. We think of the loss of a pet. We think of the loss of a grandparent or a friend or a kid. Maybe we feel the regret of words that weren't spoken or things that we left undone. Death is something to mourn. It's not something to celebrate. Why would Paul say this? He's saying that our death comes, with our death comes a union with Jesus. Notice that for Paul, death with Christ acts as a sign of a positive event. It's worth remembering. He's calling the Colossians, he's calling us, that our death in Christ, or with Christ, is the end of our previous life. Although they heard the, the, the message of God's free gift of grace, They were consumed by earning and achieving their value and significance and discipline, not out of love, because, but out of a desire to earn love. Not out of a changed heart, but out of a desire to change their own heart. But he's calling them, he's calling us to remember that that life is over. For Paul, our death in Christ is not a sorrowful occasion, but a celebration. Because he put to death our achieving. When my wife and I <clears throat> were getting married, Michaela, she's down at Crested King right now singing, actually, as a matter of fact. We've been married for four years. When we were getting married our, uh, in premarital counseling, our counseling, that's Chicago for you, counseling, uh, our pastor told us that you will be married to 15 different people by the time you're done with your marriage, which sounds strange. But here's what I mean. <clears throat> Basically, with each major event, you change. This makes sense, right? Like a, a guy becomes a fiancé, then a fiancé becomes a husband, and Lord willing, a husband becomes a dad, and maybe a dad times two and a three, and so on and so on and so on. Who you are is radically changed, and that process happens the moment you say, I do. The moment I said, I do, single Ryan, the life of single Ryan was over. No more late-night Mario Kart tournaments with my friends, at least not without asking. No more making big decisions in life without consulting my wife first. If if that's a struggle for anyone, just know, don't do that. A little tip from four years of experience. I had to change who I was because who I was changed. Some might say the life of single Ryan was put to death. And this was not a sad thing. In fact, we celebrate that every year. My wife, probably more than anyone. That single Ryan is now done. We have an anniversary where every year we remember the death of two single lives for the sake of a marriage union. And that's what Paul is calling us to do here today. Christian, remember your death in Christ, that your old life is gone and you have new life in him. Your achieving is over. He's achieved it for you. He's lived the life you cannot live. He died the death you dare not die because he loves you. Celebrate that death with him. Don't you see what he's inviting, to, inviting you into here? We have a new hope that God's way 
is a trust in the finished work of Jesus. There's nothing left to earn. There's no need to look within ourselves to fix difficult areas of our lives. Our death with Christ has put that process down. We have a sure hope and promise from God that he finishes the work he starts in us. So now we lay our burdens down at his feet as opposed to hiding them. We confess freely as opposed to with shame. We approach the throne with confidence. Our world screams that to live that sort of life of honest confession and vulnerability with one another is ludicrous. But Christ's voice is louder than the voice of the world and his sheep will hear his voice. We have been given an anchor just like the Colossians. Christ's death, his resurrection, his victory. And he's united us with, God has united us with him. And not only has he united us in his death, but he's united us, and this is our final thing, in his life. The good news this morning is that God provides hope and power for change. We tap into it by humbling ourselves, by remembering our death in Christ, but then lastly, by looking towards a new goal. Look with me at verses 3, 1 through 4. It says, you have been raised with Christ. That is to say, you've been given a new life, given a new chance. And what do we do with that? What does he say? Seek the things above Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. What does that mean? We're connected with him. We're inseparably linked because of this. Our eyes now are fixed upon our future glory with him. Our eyes are locked on our prize that we will have with him, a life with Christ who's seated at the right hand of God. We look up towards that goal now. I lived with a buddy of mine named Mike Dozman for like two weeks when I was a junior in college. Uh, They lived in this big farm in a small town called East Olive, Michigan. And I wanted to earn my keep. So I volunteered one day to mow the yard, I mean, field more. It was a big tractor, so I was excited to do it. I hadn't really ridden one of those before. And I get on, and I'm going up and down, making the lines. And there was this one little patch in the middle that I couldn't quite get to. And so I did what I thought I was supposed to do. And I did figure eights, just trying to catch that little patch in the middle. And some of you are kind of catching. That's a bad idea. In fact, his dad runs out of the house and goes like this. I'm listening to music. I thought he was just saying hi. So I'm like, hey. And I keep doing figure eights, and it's awesome. I hit it, and I get done. And then I walk in, and I realize that I have ruined this man's yard uh, for like three months. I think it takes a while for that to kind of recover. Um, if you know anything about lawn care, at least and if, I'm, if I'm actually wrong on this, correct me later because I don't want to ruin my lawn now. Uh, the way to make straight lines is actually by looking at the fence post of where you want to go. If you look down at the mower, your lines will be crooked, and your lawn won't look as nice. But if you want straight lines, you look down to where you're going, where you want to be, where you're headed. And Paul's telling the Colossians here, look to the fence post. Aim and set your eyes to the future glory you have with Christ. And he tells us the same. The challenge is the same thing. Aim to the fence post. You have a new goal a new life. Look at Christ and His glory at the right hand of God. But glory is kind of an old dusty church word. Let's dust it off together. Glory is this. Glory is magnificence. It's splendor. It's wonder. It's brilliance. It's grandeur. Do you know how the Bible describes God's glory? It's almost as if it's something so good you can't handle it. When people experience the glory of God, they fall face down before Him because it's too great. It's too good. And His promise to us is that we will sit with Him in glory. That's our fence post. 
It's like tasting Franklin's barbecue for the first time or Lupe Queso for the first time. It's like, um, it's like seeing a friend after quarantine and giving them a hug or, I guess, maybe an elbow uh, with your mask on after not seeing them for months. It's like holding a baby for the, your, your own child for the first time. For us in the room that are more extroverted, it's like walking into a room with all of your friends singing songs over you because they love you and it's your birthday. For those of you who aren't extroverted, it's like having a cup of coffee next to a fire away from all of your friends in the noise. (laughs) Glory is the experience of complete contentment. Complete satisfaction and delight. This is our promised land. Scripture speaks about the end. Glory is a father who gently wipes away the tears off the cheek of his child. It's like unloading the heavy backpack at the end of the day, but forever. He's got us. And because of this, that's why we can try. But don't hear what I'm not saying. All these things Paul says are active. Humble yourself. Remember your death. Look towards a new goal. This is not an excuse to be apathetic. In fact, we, have, we put out... Effort. The difference now, though, is that we strive without the fear of failure because Christ has already won us victory. We strive now out of a sure hope of our end that God is going to complete his work in us and bring us to that glory. It's, it's kind of like this. Now, I'm going to close with this illustration. Have you ever seen a child walk for the first time? It's very awkward. <laughs> They stand up, and you don't really know if they're going to fall or not. And they take a couple steps, and inevitably they just poof, right on the ground. They're like my kids. They start screaming for like half an hour. How many parents do you know of scold their newborn or their infant for taking two steps and falling down? How many scold their child or say, you moron, you can't do that? What's wrong with you? Why can't you take four steps? No one. No parent in their right mind does that. What do we do? I have two little ones each time. I've freaked out. I'm running circles around the kitchen and living room. I'm grabbing my phone. It's on Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook because my mom's still on that. It's, I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm celebrating every step they take. This is God's posture towards his children. We try. We move through the power of the Holy Spirit to be more and more obedient. And he celebrates our every step. He celebrates our every step. Change does not come from our own power to follow rules or to deny ourselves. So it's not crazy when that doesn't work out. The hope for change comes from our union with Christ. From our death with him and our death to the rat race of finding significance anywhere else we can. The hope for change comes from the sure promise that he is going to be with us and that he will celebrate us with each of our steps all the way to glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Again, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise in scripture that it does not go out void. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage us today. You would give us confidence in your promise. That you give us faith in your promise that you are with us, that you sustain us, and that you will bring your work to completion in us. And it's your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.